You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. I want to I tell you a story. It begins in about 386 AD. An uneducated, poor, nothing to show for himself kind of peasant, captured by pirates at the age of 16, brought to Ireland where he was enslaved. His master was a Druid high priest, a pagan, and he had the young man tending sheep. He described himself as a, simply, a simple country person, a refugee and unlearned. And this is what he wrote. This is from his own pen. Listen to this. I was like a stone lying deep in the mud. Then he who is powerful came and in his mercy pulled me out and lifted me up and placed me at the very top of the wall. That is why I must shout aloud and return to the Lord for such great good deeds of his, here and now forever, which the human mind cannot measure. Isn't that beautiful? After becoming a Christian, escaping captivity, returning home, being united with his family, he was trained as a priest, then a bishop, and then called back by God to the place that had enslaved him in Ireland. For all the reasons he had to stay in all of the comforts that he had now uh, captured back for himself, right, by escaping captivity. For all the reasons he had to stay put and enjoy the good life, St. Patrick let it go. And he returned to the land of his captivity to set others free from their captivity as a missionary bishop. Now we think of the good life you can be there in that room with St. Patrick, maybe before he was St. Patrick, right, but just Patrick, Bishop Patrick. Can you imagine being in the home, in the living room with his family when he's saying, hey, I got some news for y'all. I have, uh, I've decided that God's called me to go back. To the place that has enslaved you, the place that you escaped from, the place that took everything, I'm going to go back. Why? Because God has invited me to. Because I sense God's call there. Because, friends, listen, in Christ, that's where the good life is. Can you imagine how crazy that would have been to hear, not only for his family, but even these days, someone following the call of God, pursuing the good life. Despite all the challenges... Despite being uneducated, and he later talked about how people mocked him for being uneducated, unlearned. Despite being enslaved, despite all the safety and the comforts that he had back at home, Patrick knew that the good life was something that only God could give. Nothing else, only God could give this good life, and he had found it in Jesus Christ. On this St. Patrick's Day, Besides drinking your green beer uh, or whatever you do, it's, and that's fun, it's great. On St. Patrick's Day, this day as we observe the life of this saint, I want us to also recognize that he serves for us a really important example of what it looks like when a blue-collar, everyday kind of person catches a glimpse of the good life in Jesus and won't let go. He's taken hold of it, he's seen it. Nothing, not even comforts, will get in the way of him pursuing the good life that he's found in Jesus and wherever Jesus leads. 
last week, and this is what we're going to be talking about today. Last week, we studied um, Jesus in the wilderness. You recall that. I accidentally just read our gospel reading from last week just to cue you up. I did it on purpose, right? Um, but he, Jesus, we observed Jesus not taking the devil's bait on the good life, on the counterfeit good life, right? Look, I'll give you all this if you just, if you just do this or that for me. Nope, not having it. Well, this week in our gospel reading, the Pharisees appear to warn Jesus out of the goodness of their heart, I guess. That he not continue to Jerusalem because Herod would take his life if he did. Before, it was a temptation. Now, it's a threat that stands in the way of Jesus' mission. You can always find Jesus sarcastic or angry or flipping tables over or calling people Satan when you stand in the way of his mission. If you ever want to see Jesus like kind of maxed out to 10 in terms of like righteous anger, just stand in the way of his mission to come after, go after God's people and bring them home and you'll see him react this way. And he reacted this way. And he sends the Pharisees with a pretty deep burn, I have to admit, to, to tell a message to Herod, to take back to them, send them packing, tell this to Herod. I want you to tell that fox for me, Jesus says, Listen, I'm casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I finish my work. There's a lot there. Fox. Doesn't sound like a deep burn, does it? But um, it wasn't a compliment, believe it or not. This was an insult. Basically calling someone a liar who thinks that they're more sly, more crafty, and more clever than they actually are. In other words, Herod's actually no lion to be afraid of but some small little fox who's sly and sneaking around like a pest. If you ever wanted to um, hear the best burns of Jesus, again, go look at those mo moments where, where people stand in his way. And this is what Jesus has to say to those who obstruct his mission. Listen how he describes, Jesus describes this mission in the very next verse. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you are not willing, Jerusalem. See, your house is left to you. And I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when I say, when you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That line in verse 34, gathered as a hen gathers her brood. We can see that, huh? Isn't that beautiful? You can kind of picture this. Well, it's an illusion also. It's not, Jesus didn't make it up on the spot. And oftentimes when Jesus is teaching, he's picking up these stories from the Old Testament and placing them right in the moment. So those Jews and those who would learn um, these Old Testament stories, they would cue up these stories and begin to unpack its meaning. There was always more there. Well, this is one of those moments in that saying that image of a hen gathering her brood, it's an allusion to a song that Moses sang to the whole of Israel who wanted the good life on their terms and resisted the good life on God's terms. And they said, you know what? Instead of obeying God, we're gonna go our own way. And all they found was death. All they found was brokenness and darkness. And all the while, and you can see this in that image, the Lord longs, his heart aches. He desires to draw them in to life as it should be. Why go out there? And why live in the darkness? Why flee from me? How I desire to gather you up into my presence, God says. 
Because to be so gathered by God, listen to this, friends, that is what it is to be saved. To be so gathered by God is to be saved. It is to share in that life that is truly and genuinely good. This is the good life. A life that fulfills its nature, what it was designed to do. But Israel, and I hope that you can hear that we're really no different than Israel. They would never have it. They would never have it on God's terms. They tried, but they would disobey again and again. But along with Israel, as with us, and those Pharisees that Jesus sent packing with that message to Herod, we will recognize it when we say the words, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We will at some day recognize it. It will come to us. It will be in our face. And the response that we will give, how we will know that that good life of God gathering us into himself has come, is when from our, our mouths pour out these words, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That should sound familiar to us, right? We've heard this before. Maybe it's somewhere in the liturgy, if you're familiar with it. It's an important clue for us. It's telling us something about the good life. It's telling us that the good life is not one of comfort. We don't recognize the good life. We don't say, well, and maybe some of us do, to be honest, to comfort. Blessed is the one, that comfort that comes in the name of the Lord Jesus. I asked for a million dollars and you gave it to me. And now I'm so happy. Salvation has come. Or safety. Or reputation. Or status. Or power. Blessed is the thing that we want that comes in the name of the Lord, we may say. But none of those things are actually the real deal. None of those things, and this is why, it's not because none of those things are good. Those things share in what is good, but they're so easily perverted. We take those things and make something out of them that they are not, really, to be honest. And they can never deliver on the promise of the good life that we so much want to squeeze out of things like money and reputation and friends. There's a bits of it, but it's never the fullness of it. The life that is good, on the other hand, is the life that does life the way life was meant to be done. It's the life that can actually deliver on that promise to bring about the fullness of goodness that doesn't fleet but is everlasting that isn't determined by comforts or by what we get, but is only determined by the one who gives life in the first place. Jesus, when he comes to deliver this good life for us, he doesn't come marching with armies. He doesn't come kicking down our doors and busting into our lives uninvited. He's not a rude guest like that. But don't be surprised, friends, that after years of rejecting his knocking at your door and you ignore him or deny him or just say whatever religion or you, you just can't go there, after years of doing that, don't be surprised if one day you find the place vacant. Where did it go? As Jesus says, someday... You will say your house is left, or you will realize your house is left to you. As a reference, kind of walking to the temple. One day you're going to walk into the temple, folks, where you have put God in a box and tried to control the good life and master it and call on it like a genie whenever you find it convenient. One day you're going to walk into the temple and he's not going to be there. Your house is left to you. If you don't need God or you're fine without him, you're... Your life is like, Sean, get off me with, I don't need this. Okay, fair enough, that's fine. 
But why is it that human beings, can I just ask this? Why is it that human beings, when they are so far from the good life, when their life is in distress, and when they are faced with fear and with pain, why is it that human beings call out to him then? Why is it that we call out to him when we are so far from the good life? I think just as a really, like a super low-key suggestion, I just want to say, I think it's because deep in our bones, we all know that the good life is hidden in God, that it comes from him. And he doesn't need to prove that in us. He doesn't need to like twist our arm to show that to us. But deep in our own humanity, there's something deposited in us that says, yes, that's, that's actually true. The good life is found in him. Human beings, we were built this way, to know this, to have this compass within us. It's so hard to find unless God enlivens it in us and stirs it up and we recognize, oh man, I was built to enjoy the good life. But I get so lost. The first step that I, I'd step out there looking for the good life, I get so lost searching for it in other things. Retirement goals, relationships, social media esteem, all of these options that I have. I, I pursue the good life in these things, and I'm always left wanting. Why is it that you want the good life in the first place? There's something deep in us that says, this is for me. The good life is meant to be lived by me. There's all these divine clues planted in us of a desire and insatiable hunger for a fullness of life, right? We want the good, we want beauty, we want truth. And yet at the same time, we have this other deposit in us that knows deep down that this life can only be found with God. But this gift, friends, even now if we resist this gift, this gift of the good life is not something we can climb a ladder to go and reach. It's not something that even now you can like change your attitude, get it right, love God, hurry up already. You can't actually force yourself to do this. This, this gift is merely and only and always purely a gift of grace, a divine action over and against you oftentimes. Can't tell me how, people come up to me and tell me, Sean, sometimes I just don't feel like going to church. I want to be like, join the club. How do you think I feel sometimes? Do you think I'm like always just like revved up to 100%? No, sometimes, like even this last week, I was sick. And I'm tired. My body doesn't feel quite like 100% yet. I'm recovered. Don't worry, I'm, I'm healthy. Thank you for checking. But sometimes I don't feel it either, people. Sometimes things in my life don't go the way I want it to go. Sometimes I get confronted with stuff that I'm like, this is serious. I don't know what to do about this, Lord. Or God, where in the heck are you? Or temptation that just like has me covered, just handles me every single time. Things in my life that make it just like, I don't know if I'm ever really going to have the good life that Jesus promises. But there is no better place of honesty to be than that. And here's why. Because in that place, we can truly understand the divine grace that is the divine life that Jesus wants to give to us, the good life. It's a revelation to us. Something that catches us out of nowhere that we can only open ourselves to and wait for. We can't force God's hand to show us himself. We can't force him to change our heart. We can only open our lives and, and invite him. Lord, if you're there, reorient my most fundamental desires, heal them for you. Reappetize my cravings for the richness that I can only find in you, God. That's what it sounds like 
to pray in that place. And that's what it honestly sounds like to pray in Lent, right? Lord, I'm fasting from my chocolates or from my beer and from whatever, my screens or whatever, from my social media. And I really, really want to do that. But God, I know that craving is actually a craving for a richness and a beauty and a truth and a significance and a meaning and a fullness that I can't find anywhere else but in you, God. That is how we fast in Lent. The secret, friends, to receiving the good life that we have in God is to welcome it. And in fact, to welcome the one who alone can bring it to us, can shape it in our own hearts, to bring it about in our lives. And here's the good news. There is no obstacle that you face in your life today that can keep you from welcoming the one who brings the good life. There's no threat that you face. There's no list of doubts. There's no doubt in your mind right now that is insurmountable by the grace of God. There are no wounds, no past shames. Friends, not even death itself can get in the way of the one who comes in the name of the Lord to bring about the good life for you. Do you hear that? There's not a single thing, not even death itself, that can get in the way of the one who comes to bring about the good life for your sake. This is why Jesus was so perturbed when people would try and stand in his way of his mission. Get out of my way. I've got to get to my hens, my chicks. I've got to, I've got to bring them to myself to bring about the good life for them. How God longs to do that for us this morning. That dissatisfaction in you, that insatiable desire for more, that discontent that plagues your soul, it's always looking for more beauty, more meaning, more significance, more truth, more joy. Friends, if you want that desire to be ultimately fulfilled and settled, can you imagine those desires settled? It sounds like this, one desire, to live in the house of the Lord, to be with him. All the days of my life, like the psalmist prays, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. This morning, we are in the presence of God and he comes knocking. He comes close to us. In fact, there's not something more he can do to come closer. He has come as close as he can come to us. And we are left to respond. We're left to either ignore, to roll our eyes, to fold up our arms, or to open our hands. Even with all of our reservations or objections or whatever, we can still, with a great deal of faith, open our arms and our hands and our hearts and say, Lord, I want to want to recognize you. I want to want to welcome you. And I want to receive that good life in Christ. I really, Lord, I really wanna be able to say to you, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. I wanna see you, Lord. I want you to bring that good life to me. And friends, when that happens, when the Lord gets a hold of us and reveals himself to us, like he did with St. Patrick, you are bound to him. He grabs a hold of you and he won't let go. It's not you that's holding on to him, it's him that's holding on to you and you are bound forever to him. He will take your life like a stone out of mud and he will place you on the top of the wall. And I'm warning you, the only thing you can think to do with your life at that point is to sing the praises of the God who's redeemed you. 
You will be like St. Patrick who will reject comforts and reject those pleasures in pursuit of the good life that now he has tasted and seen in Jesus. Your life will be radically changed. You'll be transformed. You will actually want to shove off the old ways of sin and you will want to tell that fox who schemes against the good life that you have in Christ, you will want to tell him to go to hell. You will actually desire that. You will pursue your Lenten fasts You'll start one even now if you're just jumping in. And you'll write it on a sticky note. You'll stick it on that board and say, Lord, this is how you're going to transform my life this Lent. This is the stuff that I need to shove off of my life so that I can receive the good life that you have in Jesus. By the way, that's what we're doing with this board. You can do that at communion. Whatever challenges the good life in Christ that you now possess, friends, whatever that is, I invite you this morning, shove it off, reject it. Don't take the bait on it because your life is bound to Christ in every way and nothing can threaten that. Nothing can compete with that. As the hymn of St. Patrick sings, this is a nine verse hymn that we didn't sing today. You're welcome, but it's beautiful. And let me read it for us as we finish. It says this, Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore me. Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger, Christ in hearts of all that love me, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. I bind unto myself today the strong name of the Trinity by invocation of the same, the three in one and one in three. Amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.